So this afternoon we're continuing in the, the series that we have we've got planned for July and into August, which is looking at the, the I am sayings um, of, uh, of Jesus, um, trying to understand what Jesus meant by these sayings. And today we're going to be um, looking at John chapter 10, and we're going to be looking at Jesus saying, I am the gate. Uh, there's actually two I am sayings in, in John chapter 10. There's this one which we're going to look at this afternoon, I am the gate. And then later on in verse 11, he says, I am the good shepherd. Uh, and the two of them are actually very, very connected. It's quite difficult to separate the two of them. Um, but we are going to take them separately. I am the gate this week, and then next week we'll look at I am the good shepherd. So we're going to read um, John chapter 10. We're going to read the first 10 verses. Uh, it'll be up on the screen for you. I'm reading from the Christian Standard Bible. Um, so John chapter 10, verses 1 to 10, and it says this. Truly, I tell you, anyone who doesn't enter the sheep pen by the gate but climbs in some other way is a thief and a robber. The one who enters by the gate is the shepherd of the sheep. The gatekeeper opens it for him, and the sheep hear his voice. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought his own outside, he goes ahead of them. The sheep follow him because they know his voice. They will never follow a stranger. Instead, they'll run away from him because they don't know the voice of strangers. Jesus gave them this figure of speech, but they did not understand what he was telling them. So Jesus said again, Truly I tell you, I am the gate for the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep didn't listen to them. I am the gate. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will come in and go out and find pasture. A thief comes only to kill and destroy. I have come so that they may have life and have it in abundance. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that your word describes itself as a light for our feet. We thank you that it describes it as a hammer that is able to shatter rocks and break chains. We thank you that your word um, is a sword um, in our hand um, that we can defend and protect ourselves. We thank you that your word is able to make us wise, is able to give us understanding. And so we pray for that just now. Jesus said at one point that you read the scriptures um, and, and, and by them you think you have eternal life, but they speak of me. And so right now we do pray that your word would give us life, but we also pray that it would point us to Jesus, that we'd understand more about him and that we would be encouraged to, 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 to love him, to serve him and to follow him. In Jesus' name, amen. So I asked a question this morning which seemed to throw the church into chaos because it was so simple apparently, it couldn't be that simple. And the question was, how did you get in here? Yeah, that was the reaction I got this morning as well. You know, going, no. How did you get in here? It's a really simple question. The, through the door. Thank you very much, Maggie. It took me a lot longer to get that out of folk this morning, I can tell you. Because you're so used to doors, you don't think about it. So, this, so the door to the church is wide open just for you to walk in. There are a couple of doors there, basically. So how are you going to get back out when the service is finished? 
same way you came in, the same door. You're going to go back out through the doors. So to state the obvious, that's what doors are there for. They're there to provide access in and out of places. But think about this. Now that you're all here sitting in church, how many of you locked the door to your house before you left? <laughs> okay. And again, as I said this morning, if you drove here, how many of you have parked your car up in the street and locked the door before you get out of the car? How many of you are now wondering, did I lock the car before I came in? So doors provide access, but doors also provide security. And I think sometimes, no offense here, Paul, but sometimes we could do with a baby gate. <laughs> just, just to keep some of our smaller members safe and secure. So... Uh, so doors, as I said, provide access, they provide security. But the thing is, when I ask that question, how did you get in here, immediately you all look at me and think, what? Because we don't think about doors. You've used dozens of doors probably today, whether it's just moving around your house, whether it's going in and out of the house, whether it's coming to church, going into a shop, coming out of a shop. We use doors all the time. We're so used to them that, they're actually, they're almost invisible. You just don't think about it. We're so used to doors. We don't think why they're actually there. And yet we live in a culture where there are doors everywhere because we have that sense of insecurity. So Jesus said, I am the gate. Some translations say, I am the door. And it doesn't really matter which word you use. It's still the same idea. We still have to ask the question, well, what did Jesus mean when he said, I am the gate? Well, when Jesus said that to the people who were listening to him, they immediately had a picture in their head of what Jesus was talking about. In Bible times, a, a sheep pen was a stone or a wooden enclosure where several flocks of sheep were kept during the night. During the day, the shepherd took them out, found pasture for them, fed them, watered them. Then at night, he would bring them back into this sheep pen and they would put the sheep back in there. The, the pen would very often be topped off with either thorns or sharp sticks to keep animals or to keep people out. Um, many years ago, and I believe this is probably frowned upon now, but many years ago, folk used to take broken glass bottles and concrete them into the top of their walls stop folk from climbing over walls as well. Like I said, it's a practice which is frowned upon now um, by the, the health and safety. <laughs> but as this picture shows as well, one of the shepherds would act as the gate. Sometimes they did have a gate or a door, but often it's not like this picture shows. It was just a wooden enclosure with an opening. And so one of the shepherds would literally be the door or the gate for the sheep pen. He would settle down for the night and he would sleep in that gap in order to ensure the safety of the sheep so that no one could sneak in. So when Jesus says, I am the gate, the first thing that he's trying to say to people is that he is it's a picture of safety. He is saying that he is the shepherd who chooses to put himself between the sheep and any potential harm. Now, if you stop and think about it for a minute, the Bible says that every one of us is in danger from sin. We die 
because we sin. And because we were in danger of death, Jesus put himself between us and that danger. He uh, protected us at the cost of his own life on the cross. And that's why the Bible says that God proves his own love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And I want you to hold that verse in mind because it's important. The Bible doesn't say that God came for us when we finally were good enough. But the Bible says that while we were still sinners, while we were st- Christ died for us. And so let me ask you this this afternoon. Do you have that sense of safety and security that comes from knowing that Jesus has paid the price for your sin, for knowing that Jesus is the gate, that he is the one who has put himself between you and the danger of death? That you know that Jesus has given his life so that you could have life, life an abundant life, eternal life, or Jesus described it as life in all its fullness. Do you have that sense of security of knowing that Jesus says, I give them eternal life and they will never perish. No one will ever snatch them out of my hand. Or are you still someone that's trying to climb over the walls of religiosity? Are you still struggling to try and make your own way towards God when there's a perfectly good door literally just there waiting for you to walk through. So, it's a picture of safety. But it's also a picture of access. So, as I said, Mark started this series with Jesus' statement, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And that statement goes on to say, no one comes to the Father except through me. And so, in the same way, when Jesus says, I am the gate, He's also making it clear that he and he alone is the only way to God. So he says, I am the gate. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved. So this verse presents people with a problem. Because people want to reduce Jesus to just a good teacher, someone who taught us that we should love one another, that we should um, treat people fairly, you know, that we should we should do to others what we want them to do to us, and so on. And Jesus did teach us to love one another, and Jesus did teach us to treat people fairly. But you also can't get away from the fact that Jesus also persistently taught that loving one another and treating people right isn't in itself enough for us to earn God's forgiveness. Jesus said that the only way to earn forgiveness was to obey him and to follow him, only him and no one else and nothing else. Jesus constantly said, I am the only way to God. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. I am the gate. Anyone who enter, if anyone enters by me, he will be saved. So, people want to say that there are many ways to God. And here is Jesus saying, there's only one way to God, and that's through me. People, Jesus spoke about the way to God, as we've seen this afternoon, about a sheep pen, a place with walls and only one way in. People prefer to think about God, uh, say that there's many ways to God. People's idea about God is is the idea of this, which is a Dutch barn. It's the complete opposite of a sheep pen. No walls. 
Just a roof. No security. No safety at all. And you can follow other faiths. You can believe in angels. You can believe in crystals. You can believe in Mother Earth. You can believe in trying to keep rules like loving people, trying to be a good person. And Jesus says, if that's your idea of how to come to God, you're just someone trying to climb over the wall instead of coming through the gate, instead of coming through the door. Like I said, people want this idea that it doesn't matter what you believe, you know, because ultimately um, all religions are the same. And if you think about that just for a few seconds, you begin to realize how manifestly untrue that actually is. So Buddhism actually says there is no God. It just says that there is the pursuit of enlightenment. Hinduism says there are actually many gods, lots of them. Sikhism, Islam, Judaism, the other three main world faiths all believe in one God, as does Christianity. The thing is, they don't all believe in the same God. And again, the one thing that Sikhism, Islam, and Judaism all have in common is that they're all about following rules. So Islam teaches what are called the five pillars of Islam. There is the profession of faith that says there is no God but Allah and Muhammad is his prophet. That's the first one. There is the need to do good. There is the need to pray five times a day. There is the need to fast during Ramadan. And there's the need to go on pilgrimage at least once in your lifetime. So these are the things that all Muslims want to adhere to and, and want to practice on a regular basis. The other thing that, that Muslims are taught from the Quran is that when they're born, they're assigned two angels. One angel records all the good things that they've done, and the other one records all the bad things that they've done. And as I said this morning, for a Muslim, when they die, the question they need to answer is, which angel's got the bigger book? Because that decides whether or not they get to spend, they go to paradise with Allah or where they go to hell. So that's always the worry for a Muslim. Have I done enough? Have I been good enough to get to heaven? There's never that security that says that I know that I have been forgiven, that I will be accepted. Sikhism is similar. It has only three pillars, but they're quite similar to Islam. So the first one is being caring and sharing with others, being part of community, whether that's family or whether that's neighborhood or whether that is your local temple or something like that. The second one is about being honest in word and deed. And the third one is living a life of decency and humility. And there's nothing wrong with these things. But again, the problem is, how do you know when you've fulfilled all of these things and done enough of these things? The other thing that makes Sikhism different from, from Islam is that, like um, Buddhism, Sikhs believe in reincarnation. So, and for them, this reincarnation is a constant journey towards God. So there is always this question, with, if you're a Sikh and you die, what happens next? Do you get to go to God? Or do you just start your journey all over again in another life? 
And then there's Judaism, the faith that, for obvious reasons, Christianity is closest to. It's reckoned that when you look at the Old Testament, that the Old Testament has 613 laws and rituals to keep. That is an awful lot of rules to follow all the way through your life. Uh, and I won't go into details just now, but it's one of the things that fascinates me is how Jewish people in the modern world put these things into practice. And like, don't get me started. Let, it's something you want, you want to ask me about um, after tea. Um, but let me tell you about things like Shabbat lifts. Sorry, Shabbat is the, is the Hebrew word for, for Sabbath. And it's just the things that you can and cannot do in the Sabbath. And so there are special lifts so that you don't have to press buttons because that would be working on the Sabbath. And it's all these things. It's ingenious, the solutions sometimes that the Jewish people have to live under in order to keep this idea of keeping the law. And if you manage to keep all these laws, then hopefully then God will declare you righteous and will allow you into heaven. But we're back to what I said earlier on. There's always this, have you kept all these laws? What happens if you've missed one? Is it just that one that means that you don't get to go to heaven? There's always that problem. They can't all be right. And then, of course, there are atheists who say that none of them are right. But you're all wrong. The problem for the atheist is the fact that we live in a, in a world of nearly 8 billion people. And the vast majority of those 8 billion people believe that there is something or someone more powerful than themselves. Or that there is some kind of life after death. So atheists are in the, major, uh, are in the minority. Not just today, but that's also true for, out, for the whole of human history. People have always had this sense that there is something bigger than ourselves, something more powerful than ourselves, something beyond the here and now. That persists in the human spirit right the way through history. And that's why we have so many faiths and so many religions because so much time and effort has been put into this sense of trying to find out what is God like? What does God want? How do you please God? How do you make sure that, that, you, that God loves you and that God's pleased with you? And so to some, Jesus' claim to be the only true, exclusive way to God sounds arrogant. But what happens if his claim is true? Because just in the same way as that very few of us actually spend any time at all thinking about doors, the reality is that very few people really stop and think about who Jesus is, about who Jesus said he was. Jesus didn't just claim to know the way to God. He claimed to be God. And a man claiming to be God is either a liar or he's mad. He's either deceiving himself or he's trying to deceive everybody else. And either way, you can't describe someone like that to be a good teacher. He's someone who is not worth listening to, let alone following. But what if everything Jesus said, what if everything Jesus taught was actually true? What if in the words of the song, 
what if God was one of us? The words of the song go on to say this, if God had a face, what would it look like? And would you want to see if seeing meant that you would have to believe in things like heaven and in Jesus and the saints and all the prophets? See, that's the reason why people don't want to look at the claims of Jesus too closely. Because you have to make a decision that either he was a liar or he was mad or he was right. But he is the only way to God. What if instead of God just sending us signs or angels or prophets or just leaving us in stumbling about in the dark to get on with it? What if instead God came into the world to show us himself what he's like? What if God came and said, it's not about doing this and doing that to make you love you, because I already love you. It's not about finding me, it's about me finding you. And that's what Jesus said. That God came into the world to find us, to show us what God is like. And so Jesus could say, anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. Basically, Jesus said, if you want to know what God's like, here you are. If you want to know what God wants you to do, well, listen to me. Follow me. Obey me. Buddha, Confucius, Muhammad, Moses, all of them give people just a list of rules and tell them that if they keep them, all of them, then Maybe, perhaps, you might gain peace or forgiveness or eternal life. Only Jesus comes to people and tells them that if they come to him, he will give them peace and forgiveness and eternal life. And that's why at the end of John chapter 10 and verse 10, Jesus could say, I have come so that they might have life and have it in abundance. Jesus not only claimed that if you come to me, I will give you eternal life. But Jesus wanted us to have that assurance, that absolute certainty. I don't have this on the screen, but it, just as it comes to mind, in another letter that John wrote, he says, I write this to you who believe in the name of Jesus, that you might know that you have eternal life. This is the Christian's certainty and safety and security. This is the access that we have to God because of Jesus that when we put our trust in him, that we can know with absolute assurance and certainty that we are forgiven, that we can know with absolute confidence that we have eternal life, not because of anything we have done. In fact, quite honestly, despite everything we have done, but God, because of his own mercy and love for us, is prepared to forgive us and accept us and change us and transform us. It's not about us chasing God. It's about a God who came and chased us. So I want to ask you this afternoon, is it Jesus that you're trusting in? Are you trying to come to God through the gate? Or are you trusting the world that says, if you follow me, I'll give you money and possessions and power and status for a while. Are you listening to, are you trusting in religiosity that says, if you follow me, then I'll give you rules and rituals to keep you busy 
and to keep you wondering if you've done enough. And I'm not just talking about necessarily falling on our faith. We can make our own rules. We can decide that, you know, if you ask people, are you going to heaven, are you forgiven? They'll say, well, I hope so because I'm a good person. Are you that good that you know you're going to go to heaven? We can make our own rules and think, well, if I go to church, God will forgive me. If I read my Bible, if I pray, if I give money to the church, if I'm a pillar of my community, none of these things are wrong in themselves, but they're still just you trying to climb over a wall instead of coming in through the gate. So this afternoon, how are you going to respond to this? If you've not already done so, then I want to encourage you to really think about who Jesus said he was and this idea that he says, I am the only way to God, but also I can guarantee I will give you forgiveness and acceptance and eternal life. If you've not done that today, if you're listening online, you can contact the church through, the, through its Facebook page or through its website. If you want to speak to me or someone here today, then please do that so that we can, we can help you to understand how you can have this forgiveness and this acceptance that Jesus wants to give to you. If you've done that already, maybe today is already has, has we've done for Gail, but maybe there's something going on in your life and you just want us to pray for you, then we would, again, we would count it a privilege to be able to do that for you as well, to give you that support and that help and encouragement. And finally, I want to encourage you today to come to this table because communion is a constant reminder that we need to come to God. And that when we do so, that our acceptance by, is not about what we've done, but it's about what Jesus has done for us. So Jesus said in the night he was betrayed, this is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. So when we take this bread, we're recognizing that it's all about what Jesus has done for us. It's not about what we've, what we've done for him. But also he said, this cup of wine is the new covenant in my blood. New covenant is a new commitment, a new agreement. When we come to Jesus, we come to Jesus just as we are, but we're also making a commitment that we will not stay as we are. And so we, Jesus says, this is, this is my blood which is given for you for the forgiveness of sins. Do this in remembrance of me. So when we come to this table, we're making a new commitment a new covenant to say to Jesus, take me and change me and make me more like you. So I want to encourage you to come to this table today and recognize what Jesus has done and to receive what Jesus has done for you today. Jesus says, I am the gate. If anyone comes to me, he will enter in and I will give him eternal life. Let's pray just now. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your unique revelation of who you are through Jesus. We thank you that you haven't left us in the dark wondering what God is like. That we come to you because you are a wonderful, loving, patient God. We thank you that in Jesus and through the cross that you have done for us what we could never do for ourselves. And so we want to come tonight and say, nothing in my hand I bring, simply to your cross I cling. And to recognize that 
not only is there only salvation in your name, that, that, sorry, to recognize there is only salvation in your name, to recognize that it's not about what we do and about what we say, but it's about what you've done and what you've said. And so we pray that we would come to you, we would, we would receive what you give to us freely, and that we would seek to serve you, to love you out of gratitude for all that you are and for all that you've done for us. In Jesus' name, amen.